Amen and amen. Welcome back. Welcome to the first Chi Alpha service of 2024. You guys excited for this year? You're all looking like, yeah, it's a new year. That's all right. Let's get excited. We are thankful for what God is going to do in this year. We missed you guys so much over break. I know you guys are probably kind of excited to not have to do the schoolwork thing, maybe, but we missed you guys a lot. It was so cool this past weekend. For those of you that went to Winter Conference, we got to see God move, right? Did you guys have a good experience at Winter Conference? Did you enjoy it? No, I got one clap. Yes, that's good. It was so cool to see what God did. Even though that storm gave me such a massive headache the day before. Those of you who don't know, Winter Conference is the thing we do with Chi Alpha. Went to Lincoln, Nebraska, and most of our Chi Alpha group all slept together in one sanctuary. It was really a very weird experience, but we made it and God moved. If this is your first time with us, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. If you're new to you and I, welcome to Cedar Falls. I think it's the best place in the planet Earth because of Four Queens, which is an ice cream place. So you'll get to experience that in a few short months. They open in February, but only psychotic people go in February. My wife and I are there night one always. Anyways, so we pray that as you feel at home here at UNI, that Chi Alpha can be a part of that. Our prayer is that Chi Alpha will be a place where you not only know you're loved by God, but you also know that you're loved by the people in this room, that we can be a home away from home. See, I believe that God has gathered this specific group together this semester for a purpose. I think God wants to do something remarkable in 2024. You remember, back in the end of last semester, we proclaimed that 2024 is going to be the year of revival. This word revival has multiple meanings. In its barest essence, it means to make something alive again, to revive. So in our context, there's two meanings to this. The first thing that we're praying for is we're seeking revival for our hearts. We want our hearts to come alive, to be more hungry after God. And second, we want revival on campus, meaning we want to see lots of students come alive under the banner of Jesus. We have a prayer and a dream of seeing all 10,000 Panthers bowing their knee to King Jesus. We are praying for revival in our day. So I want to tell you guys the story of the last great revival in history. Around the year 1950, on this island called the Isle of Lewis, on this island there were some religious people they would check the right boxes, but their hearts were not very warm for Jesus. They would do the right things. They'd even open the Bible once in a while, but it was all legalism. They had very strict rules, and their church was dying. It was dying so much so that it is said that zero young people were going to this church. They pushed them all away. And then these two elderly women, Peggy and Christine Smith, were provoked. They didn't like the fact that no young people were in their church. So they started to pray. These two 80-year-old women, one of which was blind, start praying to see people's hearts turn back to God. They wanted to see young people come to church, so they decided that they were going to pray at least three nights a week from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m., praying straight for 80-year-old women. For me, I struggled to stay up that late, but they're like, we got this. Actually, they couldn't see, so like, we got this, but it was good. These two women started challenging their church. They challenged the men that you need to pray with us. And so the men started praying along with them. And as the men were praying, they started praying this specific verse. 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. It says this, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, if they pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sins and heal their land. This is what this church began to pray, that God would heal their land, that they would pour his spirit out on their people. And they said, we're going to pray until revival comes. And then one night, their pastor, his name was Duncan Campbell, he was leading a prayer night. And at the same time, while these very few old people were in the prayer service, there was a dance going on. So I want you to imagine, it's Thirsty Thursday. We've got our first Thursday service in a long time, so this is perfect. All right, it's Thirsty Thursday, and Sharky's is bumping. Sharky's is probably, actually, it's pretty cold. There's probably not that many people there. If they're there, they're really dedicated to having a good Thursday night. But anyways, so Sharky's is bumping. But then what happened is all these people at this dance, some reason they all left the dance hall and flooded this church prayer room. So it would be like if all the people from Sharky's just started making their way down the aisle, it would, they'd probably walk in a little bit crooked. But it's all right. It'd be all right. All right, so imagine they're all coming in. Duncan Campbell went on to say that this prayer was so filled that he had to like squeeze his way through to get to the, the pulpit to preach. Oh, by the way, if you're new to you and I, Sharky's is a bar. That's what I'm talking about. You're like, the pastor about a bar? Yes, I am. It's okay. We all have grace. But so this one night, God moved. 
And from that night, it started a movement of prayer where hundreds of people came to know Jesus. This revival was actually marked by one specific thing. Young people turned back to God and started this move of God. Young people started the last great revival. And I believe that young people are going to lead the next one too. Tonight we're going to be reading out of Psalm 63. The Psalms are basically the prayer book of the Bible. It's a collection of songs that are written to help you pray and worship God. And so as we read the Psalms, they actually give us a glimpse into the prayer life of the psalmist. They teach us how to pray, how to relate to God. So side note, if you want to grow in prayer, my number one encouragement for you is to start praying the Psalms. Pray a couple verses of a psalm and put it in your own words. Pray the next couple verses, put it in your words. Use the prayer book of the Bible to learn how to pray. It'll change your life. Anyways, this psalm we're reading tonight was written by King David. This is the same guy who like killed Goliath, if you heard that story. He went on to become the king of the people of God. And this is what he says in Psalm 63. The title of this psalm is, My Soul Thirsts for You. Or he says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. This is the psalm. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. I don't know what a jackal is, but we'll pray for them. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Our sermon title tonight is Are You Ready? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for everything you're going to do tonight. And we pray that the next great movement of you will happen on this campus. And it can start even here tonight. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. Amen? Oh, that sounded like it died. Anyways, I was kind of nervous. Have you ever really wanted to want something? Like, you feel like you should like something, like whether it's cool or it feels in, but you just don't. So maybe you're a college student, so you wish you liked coffee, but you just don't. Or maybe you wish you liked sports, but it's just not your thing. Maybe you're an Android person, and you know Apple is cooler, and you just want to want Apple, but you can't. Actually, no, Android people are usually a little bit crusty and like smug about it, and they hate Apple, right? They never want to want Apple. They're like, you like Apple? You're going to, nope, can't say that in here. Anyways, so for me, I grew up hating Mexican food. Hear me, I want, oh, you, see, you guys all just judged me. You all just judged me. Marco, don't be mad at me, my man. <laughs> uh, I don't dig the flavor. That taco seasoning's gross. I'm not into it. And believe me, I wish I liked Mexican food. Tacos are cheap, and you know what? We have to buy a lot of food for Chi Alpha, and you'll notice there's never tacos because I hate them, and I'm buying it. I would save a lot of money if I liked tacos, but I hate them. There's like thousands of Mexican restaurants, and each meal is literally like a nickel. They pay you to eat their food. I wish I wanted it. See, one time we were at Carlos O'Kelly's. That's not a real Mexican place. That's Irish-American Mexican. You're not real. Anyways, that's fine. So we were at Carlos O'Kelly's with a Chi Alpha legend. This guy had worked in Chi Alpha for years. He was here in Cedar Falls hanging out with our staff team just helping us grow. And my older brother was there, and him and I both don't like Mexican food. But see, he didn't want to look silly. So when it was his time to order, he ordered something Mexican. And then the rest of them keep ordering something Mexican, something Mexican. And then I start weighing my head. I wish I liked Mexican. I wish I could just be a grown-up. Derek, be a grown-up. Order a stinking fajita. You'll be fine. Just put it in your mouth. Should I? Will I do this? Do I want to look dumb? And then it comes to me. I stare into the waiter's eyes and like, yeah, just give me the chicken strips. I couldn't do it. I couldn't like Mexican food. And see, when it comes to our relationship with God, I think we want to be hungry for God. If you follow Jesus, you want to want God, but it's hard. If you follow Jesus, you want to desire to obey him. You wish you woke up and didn't want to sin, right? You want to want to spend time with God. You want to desire to read the Bible. And see, maybe over break, this desire was tested. Will you stay hungry for God when Kai Alpha's not around? Will you be hungry enough to spend time with God on your own? Will you avoid sin? So you want those things, but what if you're not hungry for God? 
What if you want to like God and be passionate, but you just aren't? What do you do? What if it can't click? Like, you want to be disciplined for Jesus, but for the life of you, you just can't be consistent with God. You wanted a great break, but Netflix looked too good. TikTok was calling your name. You're like, oh, I just got to get another hour and it'll be fine. You wanted real devotion, but just couldn't seem to do it. And maybe you're thinking, like, I'm just not a disciplined person. I can't do it. Or maybe you're like, my life's just too hard. And it's hard to see past your current circumstances. You can't see past your depression or anxiety, homework, this relationship. You're like, a move of God sounds really great. But before that, I just wish I wasn't anxious all the time. You can't see past that circumstance. So I think most of us want to be hungry, but it seems daunting. This is especially difficult in our current cultural climate that actually celebrates apathy. Apathy is just kind of like laziness, being lackadaisical about things. See, our parents' generation was quite different. And I say our parents' generation because we're not that old yet, all right? I'm Gen Z. Thank you very much. Like, no, you're not. We'll pray about it later. But our parents' generation was different. They went completely the other direction where their whole life's focus was working hard. The last generation thought that you mattered in life if you provided for your family, if you worked hard enough to achieve your dream. Working hard was a given. It was embedded into our parents' DNA. But then this led to a response from this generation that wants to go completely the other way. Because, see, we saw our parents, not all of them, but a lot of them, sacrifice a lot of things, including maybe their family, at this altar of ambition. Like, they spent all their life working and trying to earn money, so we ran far away from that. Here's some proof. Just look around campus, and we can test this theory. Think about how often we celebrate things like skipping class. This isn't everyone, but I know when I was in college, it was like, ha, I skipped class again. You're like, yo, 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 I passed my class, even though I only went three times, brah, I'm awesome. And then everyone's like, oh, yeah, I play video games all night too, brah. And we celebrate skipping. You're all like, crap, how does he know? We celebrate things like skipping class. I did it too, so I'm not judging you at all. And see, this thing called COVID made it a lot worse. The amount of hacks people found to avoid doing schoolwork astonished me. Like, we're so creative as a generation. They'd, like, make figurines of themselves, like a cardboard cutout so it looked like they were sitting there paying attention, but they didn't. I know a lot of you may have had your computer on during 2020, but the mic and camera were certainly off, or you had your phone down below. You're like, what's up? Because we found so many ways to avoid doing work. On top of that, our phones are literally designed to make us apathetic. They're created to be so captivating that we can just keep scrolling on TikTok, another video, another video, and then boom, it's 3 a.m., five hours later. What happened on my day? I should have went to sleep. Who knows? Think it further. Think about New Year's resolutions. We all have the best ambitions. We want to be New Year, new me, baby. It's going to be good. Like this year, you know what? I'm not going to spend all my money on fast food. I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to be better with money. But then you're driving, and you see that beautiful Raising Cane sign in the distance. Like, ooh, she looks good. She's calling my, maybe just this once. And you slide off of the highway, and you go up to Raising Cane. You're like, I'll take a box combo with extra toast, please. Boom, resolution, done. Apathy won. Let's just be real. Naturally, it's easy for us to fall into laziness. And this goes even further into our life with God. We've become spiritually apathetic. The current Christian climate settles a little bit. Like if you just go to church, you do some nice things, you give some money, you check the boxes, and you show up next week, everything will be good. See, church has become more of a culture about wearing a Jesus loves you shirt rather than a place where we hunger and thirst for the things of God. We've settled. We've settled for apathetic life with God where we check boxes to look the part, but we lack desperation for the presence of God. We may raise our hands in worship, but we fail to get up early to pray in the morning. We might post on social media about the love of God, but we fail to study the word of God on our own. We may love Chi Alpha and church and our Christian friends, but then we fail to build relationships with people who don't know Jesus. The amount of Christian friends you have is good, but the lack of non-Christian friends shows we're missing something. We're missing the mission of God. The reason we do this is not to just get a sect of Christian people and hide away from the world. No, the reason we follow God is to go reach the broken world. So your proof of your love of God shows me through your love of people. See, we have a Christian culture, but sometimes we lack a Jesus-centered heart. And see, this is not condemnation, but rather confession. I have fallen into this time and time again. It's easy to get so wrapped up in the hoopla that we forget why we do this. That we, as Christians, exist 
to love God and then to recklessly live on mission to see other people meet Jesus. And it's easy to get distracted and miss the point, the real reason why we're doing this, right? And again, this is not me saying you've screwed up. No, it's me saying I've screwed up. I'm coming to you, Kai Alpha, let's be better. Apathy has a hold on the people of God and it is stifling the potency of his mission. So it comes back to our original question. What do I do if I'm not hungry for God? Well, we cultivate hunger through resisting apathy. I think when we want to be hungry for God, we think that we can just like muster it up, but that's impossible. You can't just like grunt your way, like I'm going to desire God, like force your way into it. But you can resist apathy. You can choose to set aside time to spend time with Jesus. You can choose to not hit snooze. You can choose to set limits on your phone time. Those are things you can control. It's kind of hard to control like the emotions and the things inside of you, right? Like it's hard to just like, I'm going to burn for Jesus right now. That's hard. But doing the right things, being disciplined, that's not, it's hard, but it's simple, if that makes sense. So it's hard to create hunger, but it's simple to resist apathy. Fight against the natural spirit in us, and let's choose to run away from apathy. If you want to be hungry, do the things a hungry person would do. I promise you the hunger is going to follow. As you're doing the right things over and over again, God's going to bless that and anoint you with the hunger you're asking for. Luckily for us, David's life gives us a blueprint for this, and he's, again, the one who wrote the psalm we read. I think many of us, when we think of King David, if you're thinking about him, we think, well, he wrote things in the Bible, so he's clearly Mr. Spiritual. He's like, yo, God, I can kill Goliath with just a stone and a prayer. And we're like, that's good for you, but the rest of us, maybe not. See, David, the king of the people of God, again, we think of him spiritually. So when we read Psalms like the one we just read tonight, where it says, I hunger and I thirst for God, we're like, that's great for you, but our lives are different. I can't be like that, David. See, I think we picture David, when he's writing this Psalm, he's kind of like in a castle, and he's just chewing on some grapes or something. He's like, summon someone, come hither. He's like, all right, I have a word from the Lord. It is time for me to write a song. And then he sits there as like the spiritual sweat comes down. Earnestly I seek you, God. I hunger, I thirst for you. He just, we're picturing him like in his lush castle, connecting with God. My soul thirsts for you. Your love is better than life. So we picture David with this deep hunger of God, but we think his life was set up so much better than mine. His life was easier. However, for the psalm we read tonight, that is the completely wrong context. Remember the title of this psalm. It says, when David was in the wilderness. Scholars believe that David wrote this prayer, this psalm, when he was on the run from his own son who was trying to kill him to take over his kingdom. David was not in a castle. David was in a cave. David's life was not great at the moment. His circumstances were hard. He was stretched. He was busy, yet he longed for the presence of God. He was hungry for God, even though his circumstances were hard. And see, as a college student, you're in kind of a wilderness, per se. And I think society would tell you that college is a time for you to focus on you. You got to get good grades. You got to set yourself up for the future. They'll tell you you're busy with school. Now is not the time to necessarily prioritize God. When you get a family, when you move on and you settle down and life's going okay, that's when you can prioritize God. Like you have school, work, family, friends. There's a lot on your plate. It might tell you hunger. That can wait. But see, that's not what God wants for us. See, God wants to breathe revival into your heart. God wants to stir you for something hungry now. God is not going to wait until you have 2.5 kids in the white picket fence. God wants to stir something in you right now. God wants to give you a new hunger for him. But in order to do that, sometimes the best place for us to be, become hungry for God is in seasons of stretching. That's sometimes the best time for God to move. For example, did you grow spiritually over break? Maybe. So awesome. Great work. But for most of us, break is not a time where we get deeply hungry for God. It's because we spend our days binging Netflix, watching TikTok, sleeping in. We're kind of bump on a log and we repeat it the next day. Three hours on TikTok's not necessarily conducive to spiritual hunger. But you see, when we're not being stretched, when life's kind of easy, it's easy to fall into apathy. So right now, back to school, you are probably being stretched. Between school, work, relationships, school years get tough, right? But this is the time when God can do something powerful in your heart. Because you're forced to rely on him. You can't do it on your own. Maybe it's easy to think, if I just had more time, then I could be more hungry for God. If I had more time, I'd pray more, I'd read my Bible more, but that's usually just not true. For me, going into this break, I had high dreams. I'm like, I'm going to pray for an hour a day. I'm going to read so many books. But see, then there's this show called Gilmore Girls, 
And, like, Taylor and I are really enjoying it. Taylor's my wife. We're really enjoying watching it. And it just kept captivating me. I'm like, should I pray or watch another episode? Another. We'll watch another one. It'll be good. Right? Gilmore Girls. What happens to Stars Hollow? I have to figure it out. If you don't know, Gilmore Girls is probably one of the most feminine shows in the world, but I like it a lot. So, anyways, and don't you dare ruin the ending for me. I'll be very sad. I went to break one to get hungry for God, but then TV won out. Maybe that happened for you. A lot of time, more time doesn't actually lead to more hunger, but rather just more distractions. What we prioritize is what we prioritize. If you prioritize Jesus when you're busy, you'll prioritize him when you're not so busy. If you don't prioritize him when you're busy, you're probably not going to prioritize him when you're not so busy. Our priorities don't usually change. And see, reality also is, is after college, you're probably going to get a full-time job, a family. Life's not actually getting less busy. Busyness cannot dictate our hunger for God. Things like winter break, resting, they're all good. But usually that's not where God cultivates hunger. Usually we cultivate hunger through the wilderness. We cultivate hunger when life's a little hard, when life's a little stretching. 2022 was the most challenging year of my entire life. My wife and I had started trying to get pregnant in the very beginning of that year. And a month went by, nothing. It's all right, just one month, we're good. Then February, March, April, May, starting to worry a little bit, June, July, August, now I'm getting scared. We're getting really anxious. We start waiting on God. Where are you, God? We've been praying for eight, nine, ten months, and you're not showing up. We start crying out to God, God, why? What are you doing in this season? Over that year, I became more and more desperate for God to move because I realized I couldn't do it on my own. Fun fact, you can't just, like, force being pregnant. It's not like you snap. We're pregnant now, all right? You can do things to help set it up, but we don't need to talk about that. We'll talk about that in a month when we talk about dating. Anyways, we're going to talk about sex. But Anyways, I won't sing. Sorry, that's on me. That's on me. Over that year, I got really hungry for God. And then, on the day before Winter Conference last year, we learned we were pregnant. And as I look back on that year, I look back and realize, wow, God really grew me in this hard season. In the wilderness, God breathed new life in me. I got way more hungry for God in that year than ever before. I prayed more because I was desperate. I needed God to move. But see, the sad part of this story is a few months later, pregnancy's going all right, Life was good, and I look back, I'm like, wow, I've stopped praying so much. I've become less hungry for God. Comfort bred some apathy in me. See, I don't think God causes hard seasons. God's not like forcing your life to be difficult. But I do think that God sees the challenging seasons we're in and says, I'm going to use that for my good. See, God didn't want me to be sad, so I'd get hungry for him. He's not like punishing me. But he took something that was naturally challenging, and he said, I'm going to use that for good. So if you're going through something, if your life's not quite what you wish it was, God's not punishing you. He's not like saying, you're going to have a hard season, so then you'll finally get hungry for me and read your Bible. Gosh darn it. No, that's not what he's doing. But he sees the natural reality of your situation. You're going through something difficult. And he says, I can use that for good because what the enemy means for evil, I'm going to have to use for good. See, the enemy means for your time in college to be a time when most people, they run from God. They pursue their own desires, make a lot of bad decisions, and they're spiritually apathetic. College is not usually, according to society, the time when you get really hungry for God. But see, what the enemy meant for evil, God is going to use it for good. God wants to take the spiritual apathy around you and you to ignite and be spiritually on fire around in this situation. God wants to flip this on his head and make college the time where we are desperate for God. We are desperate for revival. Like I said, the last great revival was started by young people. A majority of revivals, when a bunch of people come to know Jesus, have started on college campuses or with college-age students. Your age, even though your season is stretching, is perfect for God to do something because you have to rely on him. The question we started off tonight with is, what do I do if I'm not hungry for God? What if I'm lukewarm spiritually? The answer is you got to get uncomfortable. If comfort breeds apathy, discomfort will breed hunger. Force yourself to not just give into your flesh the desire to just do nothing. If you want to follow Jesus well, you got to follow the path less traveled, path of discipline, struggle, the wilderness. Be willing to get up early to spend time with Jesus, even though it's so challenging. Be willing to go out of your comfort zone and talk to strangers, tell them about Jesus. The only way we're going to see a revival, the only way we're going to see this campus turn upside down for Jesus is all of us saying we're going to say no to the introversion and say no to the awkwardness. I'm going to say yes to loving my friends and my classmates. That's the only way. The only way it's going to happen is through all of us. 
For Duncan Campbell, he prayed and they all came in. Maybe that'll happen, but we can't just like knock on sharkies and run away and ding-dong ditch them and expect them to come and flood the room. That'd be kind of cool, but we'll leave that to Duncan Campbell. For us, we got to actually talk to people, make friends. And I know that's challenging, but God can use those seasons. We got to commit. We're going to be people who pray 20, 30 minutes a day. If we get uncomfortable for Jesus, God will do something. We cultivate hunger through getting uncomfortable. That's the way. All right, let's recap. So I've told you that if you want to be hungry for God, you've got to resist apathy. You can't lay on the couch as much. All right. Then I said you've got to go through the wilderness. Life's got to get more challenging, fun. And then I've got to get uncomfortable. Thank you. That's such a joyful message, isn't it? Like, thank you for telling me that, all the good things in life, that I, if I want to be hungry for God, life's got to get harder. And it seems like a lot of work, right? Like, what a joyful message. Thank you, Derek. You're welcome. And I know this sounds like a lot. I just got back from break. I'm sleepy. It's Thursday. Let's chill. So why do we do all this? Why would we do all this work? Why do we care if we're hungry for God? What's wrong with doing the thing that most American church people do? Go through the motions, check boxes, live a pleasant life? What's wrong with that? The answer is simple. God comes where he's wanted. God comes where he is wanted. This is why. Because, see, God's not going to force himself upon us. God comes when he's invited. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, that if we ask, seek, and knock, God will show up. It says, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. What this is telling us is if we want God to show up in our lives, he will show up. All we have to do is ask him to. God comes where he's wanted. So why do we get hungry for God? Because we want to meet with God. Because we can't do this on our own. Because we need to encounter Jesus. If we really want God to show up, if we really want revival, if we really want this campus to be changed, he will do it. God is waiting. He wants to turn you and I upside down. But he's just waiting for a group of people to be hungry enough to ask him to do so. And to be willing to get uncomfortable enough to do the hard work. God's not like, yeah, I don't want to see a bunch of people that you and I come to know Jesus, right? God's not like, yeah, I don't want you to be spiritually hungry. I'd like, rather you stay kind of lukewarm. No, God's ready and willing. He's like a really excited person who's like on the edge of their seat, like, come on, let's go, let's go. He's like kind of the guys who kind of creep you out a little bit, like they're in class. You know, the ones that always answer the question first, like, ha, I'm ready, ha, I'm ready. You know those people? That's kind of God, but he's ready for revival to happen. He's excited and ready. He's waiting for us to match his level of excitement. But God's not going to force us. He's not going to shake you and say, please be hungry for me. He's not like needy. You know, nah, I can't go into needy people. That would be weird. Anyways, I was going to talk about my seventh grade relationships, but we'll save that again. So if we go back to our psalm tonight, we see that what I just told you, that God comes where he's wanted, we see that it's true. David is a man who spoke like he was intimate with God. God was very important to him. He was close with God. Verse 1 and 2 of the psalm tells us how. This is what it says. Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Verse 2 just told us that David beheld the glory of God. He knew God. Why? Because of verse 1. His soul thirsted for him. He was desperate for God. God comes where he's wanted. So why do we do the hard work to be hungry for God? Because we want to meet with God. There's no point in doing the rest of this without him, right? A couple of years ago, Taylor and I watched Hamilton on Disney+. Plus. Raise your hand if you've seen Hamilton. I need to know. Okay, about half. The rest of you, go confess your sin later. It's actually, I probably shouldn't promote Hamilton. They swear a whole lot. But just listen to the clean version. It'll be good. When we watched this musical, we loved it. I love, I love history, and evidently, Taylor loves rap music. That was kind of a new one for me. Like, huh, I didn't see that coming on my bingo card for the day, but all right. So we were both enamored by it. Taylor went on to learn every lyric from all the songs. So now I'll hear her in the kitchen, like with our two boys, like, I'm not throwing away my shot. I'm not throwing away my shot. I'm like, your shot for what? To eat a sandwich or like grapes? Like, what is your shot you can't throw away? It's actually kind of terrifying. Please pray for me. Like, I got my wife getting really built up in the kitchen, and I was like, you're going to kill me? Ah, anyways. So back in December of 2021, a little bit after we saw it on Disney+, Plus, we went to New York City, and I planned for us to go to Hamilton and on Broadway our very first night. Unfortunately, a lot of the cast members got COVID, so our show was canceled. Yeah, that's sad, but I'm like, I got an opportunity to be husband of the year. So I went online, and I'm like, I can surprise Taylor. I'm going to go find his tickets for, like, the last night we're here. That was a lot of work. I had to stay up very late the first night. 
She was like snoring, sleeping, and I'm up there trying to find tickets for hours. In order to keep it a surprise, I had to like sneak over to Taylor's side of the bed, grab her phone, and turn off notifications for our credit card app because she couldn't see that. She's like, why did we spend so much money? I don't know. Just don't worry about it. I had to change our whole itinerary around. On top of this, the tickets were really expensive, so I had to spend a lot of money that we worked for. And then finally, like I said, it was the last night of our trip. And so we flew out the next morning at like 6 a.m. And this show started at 8 p.m. and went three hours. So we got like an hour of sleep or something afterwards. So we sacrificed sleep. We sacrificed money, time. Going to Hamilton on Broadway, to be honest with you, is a lot of work. It would have been much easier for me just to live off that Disney Plus experience. On Disney Plus, it was the full show. It was way cheaper. It's like six bucks a month. And I think it's gone up now. But we could watch it from the comfort of our couch, even though our couches weren't that comfortable. It's still more comfortable. It's all right. See, we could have lived off that Disney Plus experience. Oh, but the difference. The difference was everything. Seeing the show live was so much better. I was fully captivated for three hours. It was literally, this might sound like while I was being dramatic, it was a life-changing three hours for me. The live show was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. This show on Broadway led me, left me satisfied in a way that the Disney Plus experience never could. And this is like the difference between following Jesus nominally and being hungry for Jesus. It's much easier to just do the normal routine-based Christian, just do kind of check the boxes. Being lukewarm is easier. Hear me, it's easier. Just going to church, do the right things. It doesn't cost you a lot. It's like watching the show from the couch. Technically, it's the same thing. Oh, but it's a different experience. When you go from being a lukewarm Christian to someone who's fire hot for the presence of God, though, that's so much different. Being hungry for God is like experiencing the show in person. It's completely different. It's vibrant. You're full of life. It's not a drag. It's something that you want to do. It is so much more satisfying. There's nothing like living a life where you're sold out for King Jesus. And after you experience this hungry life for God, you can't go back to being someone who just does the right things to check the boxes. Just like after I saw Hamilton Live, I'll be honest, I've got no interest in the Disney Plus version. See, a life where you're hungry for God is just like this. If you're sitting here and you're like, I feel like this Jesus thing's not worth it, or you feel like it's just too much work, or you're just sitting there doubting whether or not this is for you, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you're not doing it the way God has asked you to. I'm going to go out and it's not say that you need to work harder, but you need to enjoy the grace and presence of God. Often, when our life with God isn't good, we blame God. It's not God's fault. Let's work, look inward and see what can we do differently. It's easy to look around and say, oh, these other people get it and I couldn't. But I promise you, God wants to give you the Broadway experience. But you got to do the work. David tells us this as well. We continue on in our psalm. Verses 3 through 5 says this. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. God's love is better than life. God's love is better than anything else out there. Every one of us, we have deep longings inside of us. Think about that thing that you want more than anything else. Maybe you long to be successful. Maybe you long for your parents to finally approve of you. Maybe you long to be popular. Maybe you long to have a lot of friends. Maybe you long to meet your soulmate. Maybe you long for money. Maybe you long for sexual desire. We all have these longings inside of us. The problem is, is each of these longings come up short. You succeed in life only to see a bigger mountain you need to climb next. You get good grades. There's always another class, right? There's always something else to do. Then you have to get a job. Then you got to get promotions. It just keeps going. You long for a spouse. But then you get married, and they might be awesome, but you realize, wow, that's not good enough to satisfy me. You long for financial security, but then your bank account is never good enough. The value of money changes as you get older. $100 can seem like a lot maybe now, and then daycare is like 400 bucks a week. So you're like, oh, that, down the drain. Anyways, and then maybe it's not that you long for financial security, but you long to have stuff, but then your stuff goes bad. You always need something new. Maybe over break, you just really wanted to chill, and you long to relax, and relaxing is not bad, but that's what you wanted. So then you spent all your time playing hours of video games, binging shows, you're on your phone, or maybe over break, you fell back into some old sins. You pursued things like drinking and partying. You're like, I'll just be happy if I just go out and party. I have to. Or you pursued sexual sin. You thought you just had to give them that desire to be satisfied. Did it work? Did it satisfy you? I'm going to go to a limb and say no. See, the reason we teach against sin is not because you've got to follow the right rules for God to love you. No, we don't earn the love of God. 
The reason I teach you to obey the commands of Jesus is because they're the best way to live, because God is smarter than us. So again, this is not a season of condemnation, but I want you to get some clarity in your mind about what it looks like to follow God. These things don't satisfy us. Absolutely no one binges TV or parties and wakes up the next day feeling so satisfied. No, they usually feel like crap. Like, why did I do that? There was one day over break, I played way too much Madden the day before. It's a football video game. I felt really good. I'm like, I'm about to win the Super Bowl. And I woke up the next day, I'm like, what did I do all day? No one cares about my virtual football team. That was very good virtual football team, but no one cares. Like, oh, I got to go back to my sons. They're like, Dad, where are you? They can't talk yet, but it's all right. See, I didn't wake up the next day, like, wow, I'm so glad I wasted my day. No, we feel like crap. You don't wake up the next day after, wow, I went and got hammered last night. Thank you for the presence of that. No, it doesn't work. All of our earthly longings, they come up short. They don't satisfy us. But Jesus, Jesus satisfies. Spending time running after God, being hungry for him, will never have you waking up the next day questioning why you just did that. It's going to leave you satisfied and grateful. For example, if you went to Winter Conference, I guarantee you to wake up on Monday like, dang it, why did I spend my weekend worshiping Jesus? Why did I give him so much time? I should have stayed home and watched more TV. No, you woke up Monday feeling good about yourself. Like, what's up? Me and Jesus got tight last night. This is good. You felt good the next day. You woke up satisfied and grateful that you gave your weekend to that, even though it's kind of challenging to get there. No one wakes up the day after having a deep encounter with God regretting it. But most people wake up when they go to the world and do something sinful regretting it. David says when we hunger and thirst for God, only then will we be satisfied. He says we'll be satisfied is with fat and rich food. Jesus' love is the only thing that can actually deeply satisfy us. You might hate on this, but Olive Garden, they have their never-ending pasta, where you can come in for like 13 bucks and you just keep going. You want a refill of Alfredo? Coming on up. Taylor and I went twice this past year. That was a bad decision when it comes to gluttony, but it was a little deadly. Felt good. I guess I will have more. Thank you. I will take some more. I'll take another breadstick. Thank you. So you feel like you're a king when you're in Olive Garden. Like, I will have some more salad. But after you've had like five breadsticks and some salad and a third bowl of pasta, you're kind of toast. You can't eat anymore. You are kaput. You're fully satisfied. You're like, no, 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 no more. That's life when you're hungry for God. I'm good. I've got everything I need with God. That third bowl of pasta, I don't need a fourth. When you live a life sold out for God, you don't need anything else because you're satisfied with God. God is the only one who can satisfy you. Everything else we try to eat or do with our lives are going to leave us still hungry. Not God. So how? Back to the question just one more time. How do we get hungry for God? I've got two very practical things. Number one, be in the presence of God. Seems simple. But if you look back to our psalm, it says David sought God. He remembered God. He meditated on God. He clung to God. David was attached to and thinking about God. This is the practical key. Spend time with Jesus. Read your Bible on your own. Pray, worship. In order to facilitate all this, we're going to do seven days of prayer and fasting as a Chi Alpha group starting on Sunday. All that means is starting Sunday, we're going to commit that we're going to fast some kind of food and do extra time in prayer. This could look like you deciding, hey, for these seven days, I'm not going to eat lunch. I'm not going to eat breakfast. I'm going to, I won't eat until the sun goes down. Dinner will be my first meal. Great. Maybe you do what's called a Daniel fast, and you're just going to eat fruits and vegetables for these seven days. Maybe you give up sweets. I don't know what it is. I don't really care, but give up some kind of food in order to say no to your flesh and say yes to God. Fasting is saying no to something we need so we can get more of God. So yes, you can get rid of other things, and that's great, but really it's giving up food to say I'm going to pray. The key, though, is you do need to pray. Don't just, like, starve yourself and not pray and just sit there like, ugh, grumpy all day. That's not helping anyone. But spend your lunchtime praying, like at the prayer time we have, Monday through Friday on campus from 1130 to 1230. You can come and pray in the union. Fasting is when we limit the secular things in our life. So we limit things like TV, video games, social media, and we increase the spiritual things in our life. So during these seven days, we're going to have this prayer gathering on campus Every day on Monday through Friday, we won't do it Sunday or Saturday, we're not allowed, but Monday through Friday, we'll be in the union from 1130 to 1230, praying and worshiping together. See, God spoke very clearly to me at Winter Conference. He said, Derek, because I've been praying for revival for years, but really a lot these last couple months. He said, Derek, if you want revival, teach them how to pray. If we want revival, we got to pray because we can't muster it up. We're not going to have good enough worship. We're not going to have, it's not a cool enough environment. We have to pray. If you want to see God move in your life, pray. 
If you want to see God move on your campus, pray. So let's come together and let's be people of prayer. So during these seven days, we can be praying for our own hearts to become hungry for God. We can pray for revival. We can pray that hundreds of students will come to know Jesus. Pray for the transfer students. Again, if you're a new transfer student, thank you for being here. We're so glad that you decided to come here tonight. Pray for incoming freshmen, those high school seniors right now, the fall of 2024. Pray for God to move here at UNI. Let's be like Peggy and Christine Smith. Not blind, you can keep looking, but let's be people who pray for the presence of God and ask God to move. Number two, the second way to get hungry for God is to watch your surroundings. Near the conclusion of David's psalm, he says this, Psalm 63, 9, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth. See, David knew that not everyone was on board with him being hungry for God. He knew his surroundings made a huge difference. We become like the people around us. If everyone around us is grumpy, apathetic, cynical, we'll become the same way. This needs to be a place where we normalize spiritual hunger and passion. Apathy is not cool in this room. We will be people who push each other to be like God. We'll be people who push each other to be passionate, positive people. I don't want Kyle to be a grumpy place. I want us to be excited to be here. Can we do that? That's not that hard. You can have hard seasons. That's okay. But we can still say, I'm not going to be grumpy today. So put yourself in the right environments. Go to morning prayer. Do the prayer and fasting in the prayer times. Go to small group. Come to church on Sunday at Scent Church. We'd love to have you. Prioritize being here on usually Tuesday nights, tonight, Thursday, but usually Tuesday. Put yourself in the right environments, even when you're not feeling it. So at Winter Conference, to bring that back up again, it was a long week for me, I'll be honest with you. Trying to get everyone to come sleep in that crazy church was a little bit of work. Making sure none of you guys got in a car accident, so I was just sitting there like terrified the whole time, like, Jesus, guide their driving. I've seen the way they drive. Lord, help. I'm just kidding. You probably all drive great. Some of you are crazy. I heard someone's like, I'm going to make it there in like two hours. I'm like, please don't do that. But I was a little nervous. It was a lot of work. We had a lot of things we had to do. They made me MC, like tell jokes. Side note, I was like, I hate doing that. I'm, not, I'm like, I'm not the funny guy. Andy, the other guy, dude, he's funny. I'm just like funny looking. I'm like, hey, good to see you guys. It was a long week. So by Sunday night, I was a little drained. But I came to service anyways, obviously. I wasn't expecting to meet with God that night. I was like, ah, let's just get this kind of over with. But I showed up to the right environment. If you were there, you know God moved. I encountered God in such a tangible way on that night of service. I was literally like bawling at the altar. I don't cry. I'm sitting up there like crying. I'm supposed to be pastoring you all. I'm like, I can't do it. I just need more of God right now. I'm sitting there crying at the altar because God was so tangible. I did not feel like being there, just being honest with you. But I showed up to get to the right environment, and then God said, yes, sir, thank you. Just that moment, my weakest, is when God said, I'm about to show you who I am. God showed off in my life, and all I had to do was show up. So do you want to grow with God? Step number one, show up. Show up, and God will be there. Show up. Show up. Spend time with Jesus on your own. Go to small group. Go to services and see what God does. Watch your surroundings and show up even when you don't feel like it. And you will get hungrier, I promise you. The main idea tonight is we are ready for revival when we are hungry for God. We are ready for revival when and only when we are hungry for God. I think everyone in here wants to see God move. I think we want to see this room packed full of people worshiping Jesus. That'd be really fun, right? But it's not going to matter, and it's not going to work until inside of us we get hungry for God. My prayer is that this semester we get really hungry for God, and the next semester God can just blow our minds with what he does. But it starts inside. Let me tell you one more story. So This past summer, I went to the Taylor Swift Eras Tour. Yes, I'm a, I like Taylor Swift a lot. All right, you make fun of me later. It's fine. Go Chiefs. I'm not a Chiefs fan. I'm a Commanders fan. So I started off this concert, and I wasn't very much in it. My arms were crossed as I looked around at this sea of women around me. I'm like, what am I doing here? I started to, I'll be honest. Let me be real. I started to lose some security in my masculinity. I'm like, I'm not wearing enough glitter. I'm not sparkling. Everyone else is sparkling. What is happening right now? Again, I questioned, why am I here right now? But as I watched Taylor Swift, as I watched the concert, I became more and more engrossed. I started moving a little bit. I started getting more and more passionate. The more I was in her presence, the more I looked at her, I became passionate about her. I started dancing. I stopped caring what I looked like. I was all in. I was like, well, what's up during the reputation part? I was getting real into it. And then I looked around my surroundings, 
And I got even more passionate. I was surrounded by fans. One person said, I can't believe we get to breathe the same air as Taylor Swift. I'm like, first I judged them, but then at the end I'm like, I get it, you know? How dare we get to breathe this air? They all loved her. My new community, my people, we were all in. Me and the seven-year-old ladies, come on. Oh, that sounds weird, sorry. Uh, So as my community started to get more excited, I started to get more excited. There was this like 10-year-old girl next to me and at first, it's really awkward. I'm like, I'm almost 30-year-old man, and she's 10. I'm like, why again? Why am I here? But we started bonding. We were both into this. Her passion made me more passionate. This started a friendship. Did we talk to each other? Obviously not. That'd be creepy. But we both knew something special was happening as we watched Taylor Swift. Here's my prayer. As goofy as that is, I pray that our I pray that our Chi Alpha community can be like that. That we're all just like looking at God so excited about what he's going to do that we just can't help but to get into it. Can't help but to be passionate about it. That we stir each other to hunger after God. If we want this to be the year of revival, what it's going to take is we got to get a little bit excited about the things of Jesus. If we're just standing on the sidelines with our arms crossed, judging the people around us for how, like, they're getting kind of in this. This is weird. Revival's not coming. But if we all act like we're at the greatest performance of all time when we see King Jesus... Then we'll see the year of revival. If we will all be close to God, sitting in his presence, passionate about seeing revival, the campus will be forever changed. Here's the question. Are you ready? Are you ready for what God wants to do in your heart this semester? I feel like some of us came in here just like, eh, it's the end of the week, first week it's cold, and we'll see what happens. Are you ready for what God wants to do inside of you? Because I think God wants to blow your mind with what he does inside of your heart. Are you ready for God to breathe life into some dry bones in your life? Yes, winter conference, I mean, not winter conference, excuse me, winter break may have been really rough for you. It might feel like you got some cobwebs inside of you. Guess what? God's not mad at you. He wants to get the, roll, get the wheels rolling. Dang it. I'm getting excited. He wants to light you ablaze. He wants to do something in you. Are you ready? Are you ready to grow as a disciple? And as he does this, he will ignite our hearts for his mission. See, God wants to move in you, but then he wants to move through you. He wants your hunger for him to turn to hunger for the lost students around you. God is going to ask you to step up, not only as a disciple, but also say, will you make other disciples? We are disciples who make disciples. That's what Chi Alpha is all about, being formed into the presence of Jesus as we help our friends do the same. For many of you, this is going to look like stepping into our leadership This will look like signing up for a leadership training class that we're going to launch very soon where we equip and empower the next generation of students to become leaders on our campus. I think God wants you to join in the mission for you and I. I think many of you are going to be called to step into this leadership for the fall of 2024. For many of you, that's the big step for you. I'm going to encourage you. Don't be scared. Don't doubt God. Don't say, I'm not ready for this. Let God worry about if you're ready or not. Matthew 28 is very clear. Jesus gives one last command before he goes. He says, therefore, go and make disciples. He doesn't say, therefore, go and make disciples after you've been in college for three years and you're spiritually hungry and read every single book of the Bible. No, he says, go make disciples. If you know one thing about Jesus, you've got something to teach people because they might know nothing. Many of you are going to have that call to make other disciples. Because, see, revival is going to come when we commit to those two things. When we commit to being hungry disciples who are hungry to make other disciples. That will change the world. So are we ready? Are we ready to change our campus? Are we ready for revival? Well, let's get hungry for God and find out. Will you all stand with me? Maybe tonight you're here, and if you're honest, you're feeling kind of the way that I did at the beginning of the Taylor Swift concert. You're asking yourself, why am I here right now? Maybe this is your first time. And you're like, ah, I don't know about this church thing. Maybe you're like, I'm not good enough. I've screwed up too badly. Like, I don't know enough. I don't even know if I believe in this God. Why am I here? How did I get dragged here? And you're asking, what am I doing here? Or maybe you've been a part of Chi Alpha, but you feel out of place tonight because you've had a rough break. And you're like, ah, I don't belong here anymore. Maybe you fell back into some sin. Maybe you're feeling ashamed. Feel off being here. This is the beauty of Jesus. This is why we've given our life to this King. Even when we don't measure up, even when we aren't good enough, he is. We've been talking about King David all tonight, right? Fast forward a little bit. David slept with another man's wife. 
And then he had that guy killed. Have you done that? I hope not. If so, we'll have prayer. But if you haven't done that, if you haven't slept with some other person's spouse and then killed them, God can still use you. Because God used David after he did that. If you're not a murderer, you're good enough for the kingdom of God. Even if you're a we don't need to get into that. Unless you've done something like that, which again, no one has. No matter what you've done, you can't be too far from God. Jesus came to earth. Jesus lived the perfect life. And then he died on a cross to cover all of our sins. When we think our sins are too big to belong in the kingdom of God, we're actually discrediting the work of Jesus on the cross. We're saying, Jesus, your death it was good enough for other people, but not for me. How dare us, right? Jesus died on a cross for our sins. We can't run too far from him. All we have to do is turn to God, turn back to Jesus, and he will wash our sins white as snow. So if you've been far from God, whether you have never been a part of a church, you never followed Jesus before, or you like, feel like you were with God but kind of ran away, tonight's your night to change that. So I want to give you an opportunity to respond. If everyone will close your eyes, bow your head. The way we do this around here is I'm going to ask you on the count of three to raise your hand as you saying, I want to turn back to God. We have to do something physical to ignite something inside of our hearts. So if that's you and you want to commit your life to Jesus and turn back to him or maybe turn him for the first time, on the count of three, raise your hand as an outward symbol to God. One, two, three. Tons of hands going up. Tons of hands. Let me pray for you all. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for welcoming people into your family, God. Thank you for your goodness. Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross for our sins. Thank you for not making us measure up before you cover us with grace, God. We love you. Amen. Amen. Second way I want to respond tonight is this whole night's been about hunger, hungering for God. So if you want to commit to being hungry after God, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and then when I'm done praying, if you want to commit to being hungry for God, I want you to come up here to the front, and we're going to treat this like an altar. I want you to come up to the front and kneel. You can spread out if you need to, but I want you to move a little bit and kneel before God, sit before God, just as a posture of surrender, of saying, God, I'm all in. So if you want to commit that you are going to be hungry after God, after I pray, get out of your seat, find some room, and we're going to sing one last song together and worship Jesus with everything you've got. All right? I'm going to pray. When I say amen, let's get out of our seats and move. Jesus, thank you for your goodness. God, I pray that we will be a hungry people after you, God. That we will hunger and thirst for your righteousness. That we will seek you, God. That we will be like King David and want nothing like we want you. Jesus, ignite our hearts for you. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. Get out of your seats. Let's worship King Jesus again.